R19. So cool. Yeah, we'll just be sort of delving in and out of it, so do keep it open. Um, so we've been doing this um, series on the wisdom literature, which has actually turned into a little series on the Psalms. So um, Simon kicked us off a few weeks ago looking at Psalm 51 and all about um, just that perfect way that God has made to uh, deal with our sin. And then Max looked at Psalm 81 a couple of weeks ago, and last week was Cheryl with Psalm 8, just considering... Um, creation and how the very like created order reflects something of God's character and so I thought it'd be great to finish in Psalm 19 which begins with a real um, reflection on creation but then moves into the law of the Lord so we'll be looking at what the law of the Lord is this evening so Psalm 19 let's read this together the heavens declare the glory of God the skies proclaim the work of his hands day after day they pour forth speech Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes a circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. And then the psalm changes track and begins again almost. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are worthy and trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord my rock and my redeemer. And Father, that is our prayer this evening, that these words would be pleasing to you, that you would open our hearts and conform us that a little bit further into your likeness for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. So beginning with um, a word on the text, it's a really interesting one, actually. It begins with this kind of macrocosm of creation. So, you know, the first verse is the heavens declare the glory of God. And then right by the end of it, we've kind of honed down into this kind of microcosm of the individual. So it's an individual's cry before the Lord, an individual saying, actually, you know, keep me from willful sins. Don't let my transgressions rule over me. Lord, help me, help me in my um, kind of wrestling with you. And um, a number of theologians have sort of wondered whether actually it was two Psalms originally, so uh, verses 1 to 6 being the first kind of psalm, and then verses 7 to uh, 14 have been something separate. But what we have bequeathed to us, whether it was um, two in the beginning or a one, is actually this beautiful coupling which shows us that the law of God, his rule, his command, his ways, are found within creation. That actually just as he is a creator God, that his very nature is to create, Genesis 1 and 2. That the law itself, his commands that reflect his heart, reflect his character, are found within that creative action. And so you look at something like verse 7. 
And what does it tell us? It tells us that actually God is a God of hope, that his law is perfect, that it refreshes us. Verse 8, God is a God of justice, that actually his precepts are right. Verse 9, that he's a God of holiness, all his ways are righteous. That actually these laws and these commands that he gives us are so precious. They're so precious that they're more than gold, more than honey. It's a bit like saying kind of they're more than a, I don't know, Louis Vuitton bag or a Ferrari or something like that. They are worth more than anything, anything on this earth. But equally, this psalm points to the need for Christ. Because we find David, we find the individual crying out to the Lord, you know, keep me from these willful sins. Actually, keep me from going wrong. Help me to obey your ways. But we know that actually it's only in the person of Christ that that's fully reconciled, that's fully answered. And so we'll look at that a little bit more in um, a moment. But the first thing that comes up probably is, you know, okay, so what is the law of the Lord? Often when we think of something like the law or God's commands, it can feel super heavy, can't it? You know, it can almost feel like the Father in heaven saying, actually, this is the way, get it right, get it right, get it right. And then we find ourselves a little bit bound up and just thinking, I'm getting this wrong, this stuff is tough. But that's not what is reflected in this psalm. And actually, it's not what's reflected throughout the Bible when you press into the ways of God, when you press into the law of God. You know, here David is able to cry, that this law, this command refreshes my soul. That actually it keeps me warned and there's great reward in keeping it. That it's a good thing. And so actually the law of God, the commands of God, the way he sets uh, things out in his word, the way he's created us, is about liberation. It's about our freedom. It's not about legalism. It's not about having almost like a ball and chain around our ankle that we're carrying around going, gosh, this is really heavy. It's for our freedom. And, because, and that's because it's actually about calling us back into our perfect design. The um, flow of this psalm um, just represents really Genesis 1 to 3. In that verses 1 to, to 6 show us Genesis 1 and 2, that actually God created a world and it was good. It was a world that could declare his praise. It was a world where he created us as human beings and looked at us and said, you are good and you are made in my image. But then verses 7 to 14, they recognize um, the reality of the fall. But actually things went a bit wrong. And so God in his righteousness and his love went about coming up with a kind of game plan, a way to bring us back to himself. And so he gave us his commands. He gave the people of Israel the Ten Commandments that you read about in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And so actually this law of God, God's ways, God's commands are not about heaviness. They're about looking at each one of us and saying, I want to restore you. I want to restore you into the person I created. I want to call you back into flourishing, into um, as Genesis 1 and 2 reality before sin and things got in the way. Gordon Fee, who is um, a great theologian who I love, he puts it like this. The laws demand that God's people bear his likeness. The laws demand that God's people bear his likeness. And that's not a heavy demand. Actually, it's a freeing demand that if we are made in the image of the living God, then the best thing for us is to walk in his ways to walk by this law. 
you feel that so often um, as you read the scriptures. Actually, in Job, God turns to Job and he's like, you know, where were you when I made the world? Where were you when I plumbed the depths? Actually, can the clay say to the potter? No, actually, the Lord is the potter and we're the clay. And when we just relax into him, when we look at his ways, we flourish. It's about a human flourishing. It's about us becoming more truly who we were made to be in God's image. And I've seen this so often um, in the lives of people who have come to faith, in the lives of um, some of the young people I used to work with. I was a youth pastor for a while. Um, And one of my best friends about, I don't know, maybe six years ago or so, um, became a Christian out of the blue. And she, she just called me and she was like, Lids. I've become a Christian. I was like, what earth? Where is all this coming from? And she was extraordinary what happened in her life really, really quickly. As she began to read the word of God and as the Holy Spirit began to, to work within her, she suddenly just started changing everything and conforming to what we read in scripture. And so at this stage, she was living with her boyfriend. So I didn't really say anything, but she moved onto the couch. Then she kind of realized that this relationship um, wasn't going that well so she just felt actually you know what I'm going to step out of this um she gave up her job because she realized it wasn't helping her flourish and she moved to London um about three weeks later she was like I'm going to this church and I filled in the tithing form and I'm giving 10% of my income to God and I'm thinking I haven't even talked to you about tithing Um, and just as she spent time in God's word just as she prayed in the power of the spirit actually she found herself conforming to his ways and it yes her life hasn't been perfect since But she is flourishing and at peace in a way that I've never seen her before that. And, you know, she uh, battled with depression for a while and it's just lifted. And she's more, more joyful whenever I see her. And she's committed to the Lord as she um, walks out this stuff. I know this in my own life. Um, I came back to faith at, at university. I had a very... Very chaotic few uh, teenage years. And I remember sitting on my bed when I was 19, just before I was going to university, and just thinking, okay, I've got everything that this world says I should want. In as much as, um, you know, great boyfriends seemingly, parties, popularity, etc., etc. And it was so empty, and I felt so empty. And all I really wanted in that moment was to get back to a relationship with God. And then over the course of that year, as I began to just try and reconform my life to the ways of scripture, to the ways that I knew God was calling me into, this joy just bubbled up within me. And I haven't been the same since. I would never, ever, ever go back to where I was. Actually, this way satisfies. It may be totally countercultural. It may look completely different to the morality and the practice of the world. But it's the thing that satisfies. Because in that moment, as I began to be honest before the Lord and say, you know what? Your ways, not mine. I was reconformed back to the Lydia that the Lord had in mind when he saw me before the creation of the world. Back to my flourishing back to his image. The Latin for it is um, restoring the imago dei, the image of God within us. That when we walk out the law of God, we can cry as David did, that actually this thing's perfect and it refreshes my soul. And so for each of us here, it'll be different. For some of us, it might be kind of figuring out financial or business ethics, you know, what this means in the workplace to walk in the way of the Lord. 
For others of us, it may be just our thought patterns that we know, actually, I need to come before you, Jesus, and say, renew my mind. For others of us, it may be heart attitudes that we're saying, actually, God, really show me what it means to love my neighbor as myself, to love that person before me, to be generous. For others of us, it may be, you know, relational sexual morality that we need to sit before the Lord and just say, okay, your ways, your ways. And as we do that, I can absolutely promise it will be for our flourishing, our freedom. Now, when David was writing this, Israel had the law, um, but they had the Ten Commandments, and that was it. It was followed this way. And the Psalms are wonderful because they um, kind of deal with the complexity of the human situation. So they'll take a t one of the Ten Commandments, and then we can see what that means, uh, sort of walked out with um, a human life. So Psalm 51, for example, that Simon um, preached on earlier in this series. That's David taking hold of the fact that the Lord said, do not commit adultery, and then he committed adultery. And he has to come before the Lord in repentance and wrestle with that. But we have a better hope even than David, than the Israelites did. We've got this sure and certain hope through Christ. So if David could cry, the law of the Lord is perfect and it refreshes me. If David could cry, in keeping this stuff there's great reward, how much more can we cry that? Ranty for um, the Old Testament people before Christ was that they would come to, oh my gosh, there's a little dog in the church, I'm so sorry. Um, other than there's a person in the dog, excellent. Um, I'll keep going. So the reality, so my thinking there. Um, the reality for um, the people in the Old Testament was that they would gather together to worship a bit like this. Um, thanks for that. And they would gather together to worship a bit like this. It'd probably be a bit bigger because it wasn't August Bank Holiday weekend. And um, they'd be in the temple. And they'd be crying something like this psalm because the psalms are Israel's uh, worship song to God. But actually the presence of God was veiled. There was this curtain between them and the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt. And time and time again, the high priest had to come and he had to offer a sacrifice of you know, a goat or a sheep or something for the sin of um, the people of Israel. There wasn't at that stage a perfect way to God that had dealt with sin. And then once a year, the great high priest would have a rope tied around his ankle and he'd walk into the Holy of Holies and he'd make the yearly sacrifice in the presence of God for the people of Israel, for their sin. And the rope was there just in case he'd burn up in the presence of God and they had to pull him out, but it was always veiled. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and he starts saying things like, actually, I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it, Matthew 5, 17. When he dies, suddenly, Matthew 26, the curtain that was there is blown open, blown open. And the father is saying to us, come in, come in, through Christ, I've made a perfect way. Actually, you can walk these commands out. You can walk out my ways because of Christ. You can come to me through Christ. And Jesus, Jesus tells us in John's gospel that actually he won't leave us as orphans. We were never left as orphans. That he has sent the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit 
God dwells within us, renewing us, conforming us to God's likeness, helping us in our weakness. And so we can cry this stuff with an even greater confidence because we cry it through Christ and by the Holy Spirit. But we come to the Father and say, God, would you conform me further into your likeness? Would you show me what it means to live your way? Would you show me what it means to pick up this word of God and for it to change my life and so I can drop that and walk in that? And that is always for our flourishing. Um, James puts it like this, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law, the perfect law, that's Christ, that gives freedom. The law of God always, always gives us our freedom. Hebrews, for the law made nothing perfect, that's the Old Testament law, and a better hope, a better hope, Jesus, is introduced by which we draw near to God. So, God's commands always reveal something of the character of God, actually his hope, his love, his justice, his mercy, the things we glimpse in um, verses 7 to 14. The Old Testament law points us always to Christ, in which the law was fulfilled and we can approach the Father. And I think most importantly, actually, it encourages us that obedience to God's ways, obedience to his commands, isn't a heavy burden. Isn't because God wants us constrained or to make the Christian life difficult. Actually, it's for our flourishing. Leviticus just says, you know, be holy as I am holy. And when we step into God's ways, freedom reigns. The constraints and the burdens fall off because we come back into this Genesis 1 and 2 reality. The image of God is restored within us. So in a society that says, you know, anything goes, what do we cry? We say, actually, no, anything doesn't go. What goes is God's word and his ways because that's true liberation. That's true freedom. Because he's the potter and we're the clay. And we recognize that when we look to him, we walk into all freedom. Luther um, talks a lot about, Martin Luther, he's a theologian from the early 16th century. Um, he talks a lot about the great tension. That actually, it's salvation in God by faith alone. So we never want to get into the territory where we think actually, you know, keeping God's commands and doing works and things is the thing that will save us. It's salvation through Jesus, through Christ alone. But true faith in Christ produces works. It'll be reflected in our lives. Actually, we'll want to obey what we see in the scriptures. We'll want to obey what we sense the Spirit whispering to us. There's a dynamic reality to our faith. And so I think the challenge this evening is almost twofold. It's first to investigate and second to know. You know, we investigate this stuff. Wrestle with the scriptures. Do it on your own with God. Do it with each other in your friendship groups. Come to church, listen, chew it over. Investigate his commands and his ways. The big meta-narrative of scripture, which begins in Genesis 1 and 2 and takes us right through to Revelation, the new creation, that kind of shows the whole, whole salvation history, God's plan for a rescue and a restoration. But also the little stuff, his heart, his holiness, things he whispers, his heart for justice, his heart for mercy, his heart for us to walk differently, to be conformed into his likeness. So investigate it, take it seriously. And then know 
absolutely know in every fiber of your being that obedience to him is an act of worship because actually Christ came and died on a cross, the greatest sacrifice that anyone has ever made for the human race. And so we obey him out of an act of worship. But it is also for our flourishing because the law of the Lord is perfect and it refreshes our soul. It's not heavy. It's not weighty. It's about a refreshment. It's about our freedom. So investigate and know. And then, you know, you can come together. We can come together and we can declare, as David does, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. So I think we're going to have a bit of time for ministry and worship and... Give yourself some space before the Lord. Everybody's story in this room right now will be different. And different things will be just tugging at you as the Spirit uh, moves amongst us. So I think there's some space to, to press into that.